of uh, each one today. We're glad that uh, you're here. I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts today, the book of Acts. I'll uh, just reiterate what Brother Eric said a moment ago. We have, we have some friendly people here. I, I think we have a lot of friendly people here. In fact, I don't think we've got anybody who's unfriendly here. And so uh, if you're visiting with us, if you would just uh, remain for a little while, and uh, we would love to have an opportunity to get to know you a little bit before you, you have to be on your way. Over the last uh, few weeks, we've been in the auditorium class involved in a survey of the New Testament. Brother Dustin Merkel and Brother Chuck Wood have been leading us in that survey, in that study, and it's gone very well so far. In fact, if you're not here uh, for that class, I'd encourage you to, to get here for that class or one of the other classes. Especially bring your children to Bible study here. It's uh, really a great opportunity for them to uh, learn the faith, to learn the gospel, learn their responsibility before the Lord, and not only for children, but for adults as well. And so I would encourage you just to maybe leave a little bit earlier, just, to, just an hour earlier, if you're not here in time for Bible study and get here. And that, that'll be a great benefit to you, uh, I, I think. I'm, I'm quite confident, in fact. Well, during our New Testament survey, Brother, Brother Wood, uh, emphasized the idea that the book of Acts is a historical account of the spread of the gospel. And so we learn from the very earliest days of the spread of the gospel. In fact, we read about the very first day after the issuing of the Great Commission, the very first day the gospel was preached on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. And then beginning from that day and going on through the end of the book of Acts, we read about the spread of the gospel from the beginning of that, that effort in Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, all the way through to the imprisonment of Paul in Rome, where he is awaiting a, a, an audience with, with Caesar because of some of the things that he had been falsely accused of. And the book of Acts covers about 30 years or so, from about A.D. 30 to A.D. 60. The leading figures in the book are at first Peter, although others are involved. And then from about chapter 13 on, we read about the work especially of Paul, although others are involved in that section as well. People like Stephen in Acts chapter 7, the other apostles in Acts chapter 5, Philip in Acts chapter 8, all of them play significant roles in the spread of the gospel, although we don't read as much about them as we do, say, Peter and especially Paul in the second half of the book. The account describes the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem, where it begins on the day of Pentecost, throughout especially that northern Mediterranean region, especially in uh, the work of Paul, throughout uh, the southern part of what is today Turkey, then over into Greece, and then down into, uh, uh, into, the, into Athens and, and so forth. Uh, it begins in a, with a small group, about 120 disciples, including the apostles. See that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 15. But eventually, it includes this, this movement and the spread of the gospel and the effort to win disciples to Christ. Eventually, it includes thousands of people. And so it begins with a small group, 120 or so. And then before long, we have 3,000 in Acts chapter 2. And then we have 5,000 in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. And then we find multitudes in Acts chapter 5 and verse 14. Then the number of disciples is increasing in Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. In Acts 13, we find many Jews and God-fearing proselytes 
being converted in Antioch, and then a large number of God-fearing Greeks in Thessalonica. And then many of the Corinthians were baptized in Acts 18 and verse 8. And so you can see they have great success, beginning with just a small group, then thousands and thousands, and then multitudes, and more and more as the gospel spreads throughout that part of the world. Of course, it's being spread in other parts of the world as well as the other apostles go out and they preach the gospel as well. Just don't read about their efforts in, in the book of Acts. In this sermon, I wanna, what I want to do is notice several specific occasions in which the gospel was preached and then make some observations about that. And so we're going to kind of uh, uh, piggyback on what we've talked about in the, in the survey of the book of Acts. And so just the title of the lesson, Go Make Disciples. And we're going to look at how those disciples were made from the very beginning. And so let's begin in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Uh, the gospel is first preached in Jerusalem. Uh, they're in Jerusalem. They're told by the Lord to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit would come upon them. And then on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit does in fact come upon the apostles. And they begin to preach the gospel. Isaiah had said in Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 3 that the law would go forth from Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so this is, this is done at least partially in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy where the word of the Lord goes forth from Jerusalem. And so it begins there and then it's spread out then to Judea and Samaria and then the more remote parts of the earth. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preaches the gospel for the first time in, uh, in response to the Great Commission. In verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, so it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And so what does Peter preach? Well, he preaches about Jesus. He preaches his death. And he preaches his resurrection. He establishes the resurrection by quoting from the scripture, by their own eyewitness experience, even drawing a conclusion from the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has been raised from the dead. The conclusion is reached in verse 36, that all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so the resurrection of Jesus confirms that Jesus is both Lord and Christ, and so we are accountable to Him and responsible before Him. Those who heard, at least many of them, wanted to know what they needed to do in response. Now, they were convinced Jesus is the Christ. Now what do we need to do? And Peter tells them, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Each one of you be baptized, having repented of your sins, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. 3,000, we see it in verse 41, 3,000 obey, obey His teaching. They receive the gospel, they're baptized, they become Christians. We might believe, we might kind of gather that this is a rather uniform group, a, a homogenous group. These are all, these are all Jews, by the, uh, after all, gathered there in Jerusalem for, for, for the, for, for on the day of Pentecost. But if you look a little bit more closely, you can find some diversity in the group. 
Down uh, as you go, uh, or going back a little bit in the early part of the chapter, we find some of the places where they had come from. There are Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya and Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. And so we find people that were living there in Jerusalem, but there are other Jews, some from as far away as Rome, and some from far away on the other, going the other direction from Babylon. And so these are Jews from all, in fact, he says, from every nation under heaven. And so there would be quite a bit of diversity among them. Yes, all Jews, but a Jew from Rome might live a little bit differently from a Jew from from Babylon. And so, yes, there's some diversity. And notice again in verse 10, some of them were proselytes. And so some of them are not Jewish ethnically, they're Gentile, but they had been converted to Judaism. And so there is diversity in the group. People from all over the world, Jews from all over the world, and even in that number there are some some proselytes. Well, as the gospel goes forth, we find Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, preaching the gospel in the temple. In Acts chapter 5, we find the, the apostles again preaching in the temple. In the temple, in Acts 7, Stephen preaches in Jerusalem. And again, people are one. People are converted. People, they're, they're making disciples. People are becoming believers. And again, might seem a rather uniform group, but we find that both those who held to the traditional Hebrew ways among these early disciples, as well as the Hellenists, some Hellenists, and those were Jews, but they were more sympathetic to the Greek way of life, the Greek culture, the Greek language, and the Greek lifestyle. In fact, in Acts chapter 6, you find there's some disruption in the church and disharmony in the church because the Hellenistic widows who were in the church there were being neglected in the daily ministration of food. And so, yes, they're all Jews at this point, but there's a variety of at least lifestyle among the Jews there in, in, the, in the early days. In Acts chapter 8, the gospel then goes to Samaria, and uh, Philip is the one who preaches the gospel there. Persecution had arisen in Jerusalem, and Christians were scattered. They went everywhere, verse 4 tells us, preaching the word. Some went to one place, some went to other places. But Philip went up to Samaria, and he had success there in, in preaching the gospel. In verse 6, the crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was being said by Philip, and as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. And so they're listening. Great crowds are coming out to hear Philip preach, and and, and they're listening. In verse 11, they were giving him attention because he had, or they're giving attention to this man named Simon the sorcerer. Uh, But as they continued to listen to Philip, they believed in verse 12, as Philip was preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, and they were being baptized, men and women alike. And so here you have crowds of people in Samaria listening to the preaching of the gospel, and they're responding to it. Men and women alike are specifically mentioned as listening and becoming Christians. Even Simon himself, Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer, even he believed and was baptized. Notice again that the text says specifically that both men and women were being baptized. And so more diversity, more diversity in the uh, early church. And I suppose men and women have been being baptized all along, but it's, it's highlighted here, isn't it? And so you have Jews, 
some proselytes, some from various parts of the world, and now you've got Samaritans. Now remember, there's a difference between traditional Judaism and Samaritans. In fact, they didn't have anything to do with each other. But here Philip is going, going, intentionally going to Samaria, preaching the gospel to the Samaritans. That's, that's a significant step in the spread of the gospel. And so now it's getting beyond Jerusalem and Judea and those traditional, uh, Ju- Ju- traditional Judaism and those who are keeping the, the traditional Hebrew ways. Then now it's going out to Samar- uh, Samaria and Samaritans, a, a, different, a different group of people. In Acts chapter 8 as well, we find the gospel is preached to an Ethiopian This man uh, was traveling. He had gone from Ethiopia where his home was to Jerusalem to worship. And and now he's on his way back. And and the Lord instructs Philip to go join himself to the man's chariot. And he does. He has the opportunity to teach him about Jesus. And as they're going along the way, they come to some water. And the man wants to be baptized. And the man is baptized. Here you have an example of an individual being, being taught. Now, not a great crowd, not a large crowd of people, not, not thousands of people or even hundreds of people. Here's a one-on-one opportunity to teach. And so Philip takes his time by the direction of the, of the Lord, by, takes his time to go and sit down with this man one-on-one and teach him the gospel. This man is an Ethiopian by race, most likely a proselyte. Remember, we talked about proselytes already in Acts chapter 1. He's an Ethiopian by race. He has some status. He's treasurer to the queen. And so that's, 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 not, that's not, not a, a lowly level, is it? That, that's a man who enjoys some status, being treasurer to the queen. Homer described the Ethiopians as living at the end of the world in the Odyssey, book 1, uh, line 23. And so if you want to look that up, look that up. Ethiopians living at the end of the world. Now, what was their charge? Make disciples in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the end of the world. (laughs) And so here we have, in a sense, the gospel going to the remote parts of the world. It's going to Ethiopia with the conversion of the Ethiopian. In Acts chapter 9 and 22 and 26, we find Saul of Tarsus encountering the resurrection, resurrected Christ on the road to Damascus, where he had been going to persecute Christians. Three days later, after that experience on the road, Ananias talks to him about Christ and God's plan for him. And Saul of Tarsus is baptized and he becomes a disciple. Wow, that's, that, that's, that's quite an event, isn't it? Here's a man who is a violent persecutor a rabid opponent, resolute in his religious conviction. And yet, because of his encounter with Christ, he turns and he becomes a Christian. In Acts chapters 10 and 11, we read about Cornelius, who lived in Caesarea, the capital of the Roman government in Palestine, Cornelius becoming a Christian. In Acts chapter 10, he's described as a devout man, one that feared God with all his household. He was generous. He was a man of prayer, good reputation among the people of God, and he was righteous. You can see that. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 2. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household, gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. In verse 22, he's described as a righteous man, a God-fearing man, had a good reputation of the Jews that uh, he, he circulated among. He was a centurion. He was a soldier in the Roman army. So we find 
more diversity. Uh, in spite of all these good qualities of, of Cornelius the centurion, we know that he was not saved. Even though he's a devout man, one who feared God, at this point he wasn't saved and he was going to be told words by which he would be saved. And Peter comes and he talks to him about Christ. He, in fact, is commanded to be baptized. He is baptized and he becomes a disciple. You can see that in verses 34 through verse 48. He's an army officer. He's a male. He's neither poor nor outcast. And so he's a centurion. Now he doesn't have a great noble rank, but he's not, he's not on the lower end either. He's, he's somewhere in the middle economically. But the most important feature about Cornelius was he's a full-fledged Gentile. <laughs> he's a full-fledged Gentile. Remember, the Ethiopian was Ethiopian by race, but and most, most likely a proselyte to the Jewish religion, like others had been before him. But here you have Cornelius, fully Gentile. And so the gospel continues to go out, beginning in Jerusalem with the Jews, but even in that group, there's some diversity. Then it goes up into Samaria, and you find even more diversity. Ethiopian is converted, and now you've got even the Gentiles being converted as well. Beginning Acts chapter 13 through the end of the, the book, Paul and Barnabas and later Silas are separated by the Holy Spirit to go out to preach the gospel in distant places. And so they leave from Antioch and, and, and then they go out. They go out to really pretty, pretty far and distant places. Paul engages in three journeys. On the first one he goes to Cyprus, to Antioch, to Iconium, and Lystra and Derbe. On a second trip he goes back through some of those places and then to Philippi and Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth. On the third journey, Paul goes to Ephesus, Macedonia, and Greece, Troas, Miletus, and then, and then ultimately he goes to Rome. And he encounters all kinds of people. Think about the different kinds of people that Paul encounters as he goes about preaching the gospel. Men and women, women like Lydia, some of the leading women of Thessalonica become disciples. Acts 17, verse 4. Some are noble men and women, some of the leading women. These would be people of noble rank. Now, not many, because they're not that many noble people to begin with. <laughs> and so, so, not many noble, but some. And then a lot of rather common people, ordinary people. He encounters soldiers and jailers, business people, philosophers, priests, some believers, some unbelievers, idolaters, Jews, Gentiles. Some moral, some immoral. Just all sorts of people he's reaching with the gospel. Go make disciples. And so that's what, that's what Paul does. His evangelistic strategy is that he taught publicly, Acts 20 and verse 20 tells us, in places like the synagogues and the Areopagus, and also from house to house. And so that's on an individual level, isn't it? And so you can imagine Paul going into someone's home and sitting down at the table with them and talking to them about the gospel just one-on-one. Just -on -one. And Acts 17 and verse 17 says, He taught anyone who he, he met who was willing to listen in the marketplace. The content of his message is seen in Acts chapter 17, the first three verses there. He's convincing people that Jesus is the Christ. He's reasoning from the Scriptures. He's explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ. 
Well, what do we learn from all of this survey of the book of Acts? And took me a little bit longer than I had hoped it would, but, but there's a little survey of the gospel going out, beginning in Jerusalem, up into Samaria, and then with Paul to the uttermost parts or the remotest part of, of the earth. And why, why would these men do this? Many of them left their homes. They go to unknown territory. Just, just, they just start going out. Maybe they've never been there. In fact, Paul liked to go places where the gospel had never been before. The travel would have been difficult, at least by our standards. Little financial support at times. The results were not often favorable. Sometimes they, they were harmful, in fact, as they faced persecution. So why did they do it? Well, there, I'm sure there are multiple reasons. First of all, the Lord told them to do it. <laughs> why, why are you doing this? Because the Lord told me to do it. The Lord told them, go make disciples. Go preach the gospel to every creature. Go make disciples of all the nations. Begin in Jerusalem. Repentance and remission of sins should be preached to every nation under heaven. Even John chapter 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, I also send you. That, this is the charge of the Lord. Go make disciples. Why are you doing this? The Lord told me to do it. But there are other reasons, I'm sure. They have a desire to see others released from their sin and saved from their sin. They want to share the good news. I imagine, I can just picture in my mind, Paul coming up onto the crest of a hill, looking down at the city and thinking about the, the people there who are in bondage to sin, who face a, a, an eternal destiny of, of destruction and condemnation. And Paul says, I've got the message that can free them from that. I, I've, got, I've got the key to their release. I want to give it to them. I want to share it with them. And so they have that desire to see those who are in bondage of, to sin released from that bondage. They want to share the good news. They have an obligation to help the helpless because they have the resources and the opportunity to do it. I was reading a little story about what happened, an event that happened in New York in 1964. There was a woman named Kitty Genovese. And uh, you might, I don't know if you know that particular account. She's a young woman, 1964, she's walking. She'd left work late at night, walking from her car to her apartment like 2 o'clock in the morning, where she was attacked and killed. And the New York Times ran a story, and it ended up to have lots of problems in the story, that several people had witnessed the attack and had done absolutely nothing to help her. Now, that didn't exactly happen that way, but the very idea that you had people standing by their telephone and didn't pick it up and call the police while this woman was... That was just outrageous to people. And rightfully so. Here these people have, an, have the resources and the opportunity to help somebody in trouble, and they do nothing? Outrageous. Oh, do we do that? When it comes to the gospel, here are people we know who are lost, and we have the resources and the opportunity, and we sit by and do nothing to help them? Outrageous, isn't it? <laughs> And so they have a response. We have a responsibility because we have the resources and the opportunity to help some, the help to helpless. And so they felt an obligation to do it, no doubt. And they felt an obligation to go because they themselves had been saved. Why do these men do it? The Lord told them to do it. They want to see people forgiven of their sin and have a hope of eternal life. They have an obligation to help those who cannot help themselves. And they have an obligation because they themselves have been saved. The Lord has saved me. I ought to be involved in helping to save others. And so that's motivation to do it, isn't it? 
A second observation we'll make is they sent the gospel to distant places. One goal of the Great Commission is to reach as many people in as many places as possible. Go to all nations, preach to every creature. And Paul's strategy, in fact, was to go where no one had, had yet been. You know, I've heard people express the idea, uh, they're, they're really not interested in sending the gospel out to distant places. They say, well, we got people right here who are not saved. We, need to, we just need to focus our attention right here. And, and we don't need to be concerned about sending the gospel out to, to distant places. Well, Jesus went from one place to the next, so though some in that first place may not have heard. That's what he said in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39. I got to go to other cities and teach. That's the very purpose for which I came, he says. You know, gospel has been preached in Birmingham. It's been preached in Birmingham for a long time. It's been preached in the pulpit. It's been preached in Bible classes. It's been preached on the radio. It's been preached in TV. It's been preached through the printed page. The, the gospel has been preached here. Now, I'm not saying there's no more opportunity to preach here and to reach people who are lost, but the gospel has been preached here. The time is right to send it to other places as well if we're able. All people are eligible to hear and receive the gospel. That's one of the points that we've been trying to make all along. Consider the different places and kinds of people they taught. Every kind of person without distinction was taught. Every race, every class, every economic status, every gender, there's only two by the way, every social standing. Since whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, they wanted to teach everyone about the Lord. They understood the blessed gospel is for all. And so they went out and made disciples of all the nations. There's one other point that I want to I'll mention very briefly. In fact, I think I'm going to change the name of the sermon at this point. <laughs> Go make disciples. That, that's not a bad title, but I'm going to change it to this. The gospel is for all. It's for everybody, isn't it? The gospel is for all. There's one other point that I want to make. Not only did they make disciples, but efforts were made to build up the disciples and build up local churches. After their initial conversion, the Christians in Jerusalem continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And so they became Christians, but that wasn't the end of their story. They continued to learn. They continued to develop. They continued to grow in their knowledge and understanding of the gospel. And so they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, learning the doctrine and putting it into practice. When the gospel went to Samaria, the church in Jerusalem sent Peter and John to help teach, the, teach them further. And so Acts chapter 8 and verses 14 through 18, we find Peter and John going up to Samaria to continue the work of, uh, of development, the, developing these new Christians and, and, and grounding them in their faith. No doubt as they imparted the Holy Spirit to those early Christians, the Holy Spirit would have aided in their growth and development in their faith and wisdom and knowledge. After a church was established in Antioch, the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas. He found Paul and they worked together for about a year. About a year and they're strengthening the disciples there as well as reaching out and with, to the, uh, with the gospel to others. But they're strengthening the church and encouraging with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord, Acts 11 verse 23 says. 
On Paul's first journey, he and Barnabas decide to retrace their, retrace their steps, return to the places where they had planted churches. And so they get to Derby, and then they turn back and go to Lystra and Iconium, Antioch, regions of Pisidia and Pamphylia. Those are places where they had been earlier on their first journey. And they go back through there, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. Verse 22 of Acts 14. One of the motivations for Paul going on his second journey was to return and visit the churches, to visit the brethren where they had, where they had preached before. Now they cover more territory than they covered on their first journey. But they do visit those places where they had been on their first journey, and they strengthen them and encourage them. When Paul and Timothy and Silas encounter persecution in Berea, they, or in Thessalonica, they went down to Berea, more persecution. Paul leaves to go to Athens, but he sends Timothy and Titus back to Thessalonica to do what? Well, they're new converts. They're new Christians. I imagine Paul had to leave before he wanted to leave. And so he sends these men back to establish them, to encourage them, to, to build them up. And they meet Paul in Corinth with a good report. They had been there to strengthen and encourage them in their faith. 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 2. The work of making disciples doesn't end at the water's edge, does it? You know, it doesn't end when a person is baptized and they come out and now they, leave, now they walk out of the water. Okay, it's over. We've done our work. We've done everything there is to do. No, mm-mm. The work of making disciples does not end at the water's edge. Jesus indicates this in Matthew chapter 28 when he says, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Make disciples of all the nations. Make disciples. Now teach them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And Paul talks about this as well, like especially Colossians chapter 1, right at the end of chapter 1, verse 28. We proclaim Christ, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. We proclaim Christ. Our goal is to present everyone perfect, everyone complete in Christ. And so the work of development continues even after a person is baptized. And Paul says to the Colossians that he rejoiced to see your good discipline and stability of your faith in Christ. As much attention and effort needs to be put into developing Christians to maturity as into making disciples to begin with. And so, you know, we're enthusiastic about making disciples. Okay, all right. Once we make disciples, Enough more, uh, the attention needs to continue. Effort needs to continue to build them up. We know from our own experience, don't we? We know from our experience the result of failing to do this. And those skilled in this area are as valuable to the kingdom as those who do the initial teaching. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 5 through 9, Paul says, I planted, Paul wa- uh, Apollos watered, Paul started the church, Apollos would come in to those uh, disciples and he would, he would uh, water them and help them to grow and develop in the Lord. But, you know, God gives the increase. So after all, we're fellow workers, he says, in God's vineyard. Churches need to be interested in these matters that we've talked about today. Preaching the gospel here and preaching the gospel in other places 
We need to be interested and involved in the growth and development of Christians here and elsewhere. And I'm one to say, thanks be to God that we are. <laughs> and we always have been, in my experience, always have been interested and involved in preaching the gospel here and in other places as well. So you might know that Brother Frank and I were planning a trip to, to Uganda. Why are we going over there? Why, why are we doing that? We're doing that for the same reasons that it was done in the very beginning. To go and make disciples of all nations. And to go and try to strengthen them and build them up in the faith. Not that we're uh, not indispensable in that. Of, of, of course, he and I are simply servants in the kingdom. There are lots of servants. We have the opportunity, and so we're going to go, and the church here, all of you, uh, are supportive of that work, and uh, whatever success we have, what, what, how, however little or much success we have, uh, you're, you're a part of that. And so we give our thanks. We give our thanks for that opportunity to do that work in that place. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for uh, for your love for us, for your grace that you've shown toward us in the giving of your Son. We're thankful for the opportunity to be your children. Father, we understand that being your children take, uh, carries with it some responsibility. It carries with it the responsibility of living a godly and holy life, a life that reflects your, your character and the character of your only begotten Son. It also, Father, carries with it the responsibility of sharing the good news of Christ with others. And those who respond to building them up and strengthening them in the faith. Father, we're so thankful for the success that, that we see and, and the, the, the new Christians that we see from time to time and, and their growth and development in the Lord. And Father, we pray for more opportunity like that. And Father, we pray for those who are involved in not only preaching the gospel locally, but, but going out and going to distant places and teaching as many people in as many places as possible, sharing the good news with them so that they might be released from their bondage of sin. And Father, we pray for open doors, doors of opportunity to continue that, that work. And so, Father, we ask your blessings upon us, upon us individually as we go about living our lives and devoting ourselves to being faithful disciples. But we ask your blessings on our efforts to reach out to others as well, that the seed that we sow might find good and honest heart, hearts and might, might produce a great deal of fruit for you. And so, Father, we ask you to continue to be with us, uh, to watch over us, to keep us in your care, to bestow upon your great blessings so that we might be involved in bestowing those great blessings on others. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. If you're here this morning,